Great, it's so good to be back with you. I, I, I was only away for one Sunday morning, but it was so, isn't it so good just gathering together with the church and worshipping Jesus? I, I just think it's the, the, best, the best thing. Um, and it's great also to know what you're singing, because when we were in India, we did an awful lot of worshipping Jesus, but I didn't have a clue what they were singing about most of the time, because it was in Hindi. So I did an awful lot of singing in tongues and things like that. But uh, no, it's so, so good to be back. I want to say thank you too for um, releasing me um, and Alid and the team to go. Um, we really do appreciate that. And we know that when we go, we are a blessing to the church there. But it's also an amazing privilege to be able to go um, year after year and see what a blessing they are as a church to us and the team and seeing the team grow as they minister and step out of their comfort zone was absolutely um, brilliant. It was a real, real privilege. As Natalie said, we're going to continue our second half of our, no, we're going to continue our Acts preach series, which is looking at the second half of Acts. So if you've got your Bibles, please could you turn with, to, with me to Acts chapter 13. If you've met, missed any of the preaches so far in the series, I think this is number four, um, you can go online and you can uh, listen to a download and that will help to update you. I, I'm going to attempt to do something I've never ever done before. Good, I'm pleased you're awake on the front row. Okay, that's good. So I'm going to attempt to do something I have never, ever done before. That's better. It's good to see you're still awake. Good, good, good. I'm going to attempt to preach through three chapters of Acts. <laughs> that, that wasn't a field with excitement, that noise. That was like dread. It's like, I've got my lunch in the oven. It's going to be done by two. It's all right, I'll be done by five to two. Don't worry, we'll be all right. We'll be plenty of time. I want to look at three chapters in Acts and we're going to look at commissioning, church planting and a council meeting. Okay? So commissioning, church planting and a council meeting. If we run out of time, we're going to miss out on the council meeting. Is that all right? But but we'll see how we go. Um, And... I'm quite keen that we look at all three chapters because I think I want you to have an overview of what is going on in these three chapters. So it will be a bit of a skimming over, but I believe there's some lessons that I can draw out that will be useful for you. Um, They're useful for me, certainly in preparation. Um, And so I'm quite keen to do that. So we're going to look at 13, 14, um, and hopefully we're going to get to 15. So firstly, we're just going to look at commissioning. So let's just read these first three verses. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manin, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. There have been some pretty amazing events so far, but in this account, the gospel um, takes a step up and a step out. 
Beforehand, it's been fairly narrow. It's been in Jerusalem and surrounding towns and villages. But what goes on here is an expansion to the gospel that hasn't been seen so far. It goes from a small geographical area to a much larger one. So what we find here is a church at Antioch. So if we can put the map up, please, Dan, that would be absolutely great. So Antioch, oh dear, that's not so clear. But anyway, if you look um, on the far right-hand side... Um, where the blue line starts and the red arrow finish, finishes, that is Antioch. So this is where this worship prayer meeting is going. And there is a church established there. A Bible-believing church um, has been established. And that is where Paul and Barnabas are based. And there is a worship meeting going on in the church. And these five key leaders are there. They are prophets and they are teachers. Or that's how it has been described. It's quite a diverse, culturally diverse group. There's two from North Africa, one from Cyprus, another from Turkey, and one from Israel. So you can imagine it's quite a different group. I wonder what their meetings are like. But in this particular situation, it's the whole church that is gathered together, and they are worshipping Jesus, and they are fasting. Which is interesting. And while this is happening, a prophetic word comes Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Their response to this is to fast a bit more. Anyone keen on fasting? It's not really in fashion in our day, but it's a real biblical thing. What you do when you fast is you either stop eating or you stop doing thing, something in order to replace it with something else. So we find in the first verse that they stop fasting and what are they doing? They're worshipping Jesus. No, they stop eating and they're worshipping Jesus. And then in verse 3, what we find they're doing is they stop eating, they're fasting, and they give themselves to prayer. And it's really important in our church today, in this day, that there are times and seasons when it's good for us to fast. We set aside more time than we can normally allow in order that we can connect with God. We say, actually, although I'm hungry for my food, I'm hungrier to encounter you, the living God. In a sense, that's what fasting um, is all about. So in response to the word, they fast some more, they pray, they lay hands on these two men, Paul and Barnabas, and they send them off on the first missionary journey. The individual, Paul and Barnabas, the church, and the Holy Spirit, partnering together and like I say this is a strategic moment in the life of the church this is a moment of change this is a moment of breakthrough and it's really interesting to note that what triggers it is a prophetic word in the middle of a time of worship I I really enjoyed worshiping Jesus this morning although if I'm honest whether I enjoy it or not is not the primary concern God is worthy of the best we can give him. And when we, when we worship, when we sing out our songs, when we raise our hands, when we clap, when we dance, when we bow down on the floor, when we shout out, when we have moments of reverent silence, all of those are different expressions in worship. What we are saying is, Lord God, you are worthy of the best that I can give you. And when I worship with my songs, what is going on is my intellect, my thinking, is engaging with the truth. So when we worship, it is to engage all of us. It's to engage our minds, 
is to engage our thoughts, but it's also to engage our feelings and our emotions as well. And as I connect with the truth that we are singing, do you know what? My emotions start to engage as well. My thoughts engage often first, but then my emotions follow after. And what I'm doing during worship is I'm giving all of myself to Jesus. Now, there are three parts in worship. There is God, the one we are coming to, the one who is only too keen to meet with his people. There is us, the church, corporately together. There is Janair and the guys who I thought led us so very well this morning, so sensitively. And they can assist us in it. But the third part in worship is me and you. And worship is a decision that we make. It's a decision we choose to engage with God. We choose to participate with one another in what is going on. And do you know what? We can choose to worship Jesus when it's all falling apart at the front. You know? But there's been some times like that on a Sunday morning where it just hasn't gone right. The sound, they've done their best, but it hasn't quite worked out right. You've got one person singing one song, you've got another person singing another song. No one really knows what's going on, but I can still connect with Jesus. I can still worship him because it's actually, in the end, a deliberate individual decision to interact with God and as I said during the worship I can't do it for you that's something you choose to do and I just want to encourage you do come ready to participate in worship you might you may not come to the front and bring a contribution but if you're part of this church and you call this church home you're really really welcome to come to the front talk to me Steve Paul Andrew and we'll see if it fits in But actually, just where you're stood, where you're sat, you can choose to participate in worshipping Jesus. And it is the highest privilege you will get all week to gather with the saints and to lift your voice and to give him the best of who you are. It is an immense privilege to do that. But no one else can do it for you. That's your choice. I found that worship's something I've grown in as well. You might not think it because I stand up here quite a lot and I can appear to be quite confident. But as a teenager, I was so, so timid. So to raise my hands week by week cost me loads. I thought everyone was looking at me and no one was looking at Jesus. When I started jumping up and down, because naturally what I was singing about was that exciting that it affected my body. You know, because that often is you only have to watch a football match. You only have to watch a football match to see that when something exciting goes on, people don't, you know, it's a bit odd when it's a bit of a golf clap, isn't it? We're made to express our feelings and our emotions. Then we all do it differently. But I remember when I started, again, I felt like there was a million pairs of eyes looking in the back of my head. And I don't know if I've told you this before, but Judy Wales, where are you? Judy. Right, okay. In the olden days... When I was a teenager, Judy used to come and give me a good old thump in the side and tell me to dance in worship. She did. She did. Now, I don't think Judy does that anymore. And I totally understand if next week during the worship, if she sat on her own, that may be wise. But it was such an encouragement to me to get out of my comfort zone 
and to give more of myself to God in worship and not worry, not worry about what's going on around me, not worry about what people were thinking of me, but to give my best to Jesus because he is worthy. He is worthy. And it's interesting to note that it's in this worship setting that God powerfully breaks in. He speaks and he transforms the direction. The Holy Spirit transforms the direction that the church is going on the back of it. Now for me, I find that times of worship, and this isn't why I worship, but times of worship are key for problem solving. I find often God speaks to me when I'm connecting with him in worship and gives me insight or ways through situations where I do not know the way through. Now, that's not why I worship. It can be a prophetic word from the front. It can just be a thought that God drops into my mind. It can be something that I had not been thinking about. I want to encourage this church. Our highest calling is to be worshippers of Jesus. And if you are struggling with problems and difficulties, can I say it is push in and worship him. Do not allow your problems or your fears or your concerns to separate you from worshipping Jesus. When you get to heaven, you're going to worship him problem free. Hallelujah. That's going to be glorious. But here on earth, we have the opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise and worship where we worship through difficulty. And connect with him. I want you to be more extravagant. More exuberant. Less English. Sam who we welcomed into membership. Sam can I embarrass you a little bit? I was chatting with Sam. um, At the follow up interview. And he he asked me. Is it alright if you take your shirt off. And and swing it around your head. In worship. (laughs) It's all right, it's wearing a vest. Absolutely, if you want to, that's great. But there is an exuberance and a celebration and an excitement about God in the churches in India that we do not have. In the churches in Ghana that we do not have. We've got lots to learn, church. Otherwise, when we get to heaven, we're just not going to be prepared for what we encounter. Because you know, English people, we're going to be in the minority, don't you? There's going to be an awful lot more Indians in heaven than there are going to be English people. So we best get used to how they worship. Otherwise, we're going to be a bit out of place, you know. We don't want to be the odd bunch on the side, you know, looking across. So just, anyway. Um, I don't know why I went off on there anyway. But still, it came out of worship. It came out of worship. And what was it that came out of worship? It was mission. It was church planting. And chapters 13, right the way through to the end of chapter 14, is Paul's first missionary journey. And I love what it says in verse 4. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas knew they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And if you read through these chapters, it is amazing how much of it is the Holy Spirit at work, guiding, directing, doing some incredible things. The first thing is this, they set sail for Cyprus. They start in the synagogue, and this seems to be how Paul often operated. And then they went throughout the whole island. The island's about 90 miles long, proclaiming the word of God. Towards the end of this part of the journey, they are opposed by a false prophet called Bar-Jesus, which means son of salvation. 
He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. So Sergius Paulus was one of the leaders, one of the governors of the island. And it says this, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, confronts by Jesus and pronounces physical blindness on him. I don't know where that puts, you know, where that fits into your theology, but this is what he says. He pronounces physical blindness on him and immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Wow. The proconsul believes when he sees what happens. It says that he is shaken to the court. And this Sergius Paulus is the first totally non-Jewish convert recorded in the book of Acts. It's a bit of a, a groundbreaking moment. From there, they travel 100 miles, including a sea journey. So if we go back up onto the map, Dan, brilliant. So you see Cyprus down the bottom. They then head straight north. And uh, they get to, um, where do they get to? Antioch in Pisidia, which is about 100 miles away. Now, by the time they arrive, we think that Paul was pretty ill. If you have a look in Galatians 4, verse 13, it says that when he arrived, he arrived in weakness and was very broken. They go to the synagogue, they preach about Jesus, and the whole message is recorded, or a big chunk of it is recorded in verses 16 through to 41. But this is a summary of the message. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which could not be freed by the law of Moses. There is a great response to the gospel preach in the synagogue. They're requested back the next week when the whole city turns out. Can you imagine? Had such an impact that the whole city city of Antioch Pisidia, which is in a different place to the first Antioch we read about. This causes jealousy in the Jewish leaders, but many respond to the gospel. And it says in verse 48, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. But leading people in the city stirred up the crowds and they were driven out of the city. And what you will find on this first missionary journey is Paul and Barnabas often move on because of persecution. So what Andrew shared a couple of weeks ago, gospel spread and persecution often go hand in hand. Next they move on to Iconium, nearly a hundred miles to the southeast. Have you noticed the distances that Paul and Barnabas are travelling here? Three, four, five hundred miles already they have covered. They go to the synagogue, they preach about Jesus and many believe. However, opposition starts almost immediately. There is no time frame. Almost immediately, opposition starts. But they still remain there a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. And he bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by the hands of the apostles. Miracles. So the message that was preached was attested to by signs and wonders. At the end, an attempt is made to mistreat and kill Paul and Barnabas, so they fled and moved on. Then they move on to Lystra. We don't know where they start preaching in this city, but I imagine they probably went to the synagogue. But the story that is recorded here is not, does not take place in the synagogue. It says that Paul is preaching and he sees a crippled man who has faith to be healed. 
he sees that this man who is crippled has faith to be healed. I wonder what it looks like to see faith. But Paul could see. I don't think something physical. I think it's something, an internal witness. This, this guy in front of me, I'm preaching, this guy in front of me has faith to be healed. So this is what it says in verses 8 through to 10. Let me just quickly read this to you. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. This causes worship in the crowd, not to God, but to them. However, this adulation turns to execution really quickly. Paul is dragged out of the city. He is stoned and they think, um, stoned as in they throw rocks at him and they leave him for dead. And it's only when the believers gather around him that he gets up and he goes back into the city he spends the night before he moves on. Then says he moves on to Derby, about 60, not in the Midlands, about 60 miles away, where we don't really know what happens, but it says the gospel is preached and they make many disciples. Once getting there, They travel all the way back through. They go to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. So if we go back um, to the map, Dan, sir, I'm working you hard this morning. You'll be ready for your lunch. So if you look then at the uh, red line, you can see they go all the way back through and sail all the way back through to Antioch. What is interesting is that on the way back through, Paul doesn't go back through preaching the gospel this time. He goes back through strengthening the souls of the believers, encouraging their faith, And he says that through many tribulations, you enter the kingdom of God. Any volunteers for many tribulations? But actually, that's that's one of the key things he says. He says, look, look guys, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you will enter through doorways of tribulation. Doorways of difficulty. Not going to stay there for very long, just to say... Please don't come to Christ and think all your problems will go away. They don't all disappear. Actually, we often walk through disappointment and problems, but we have one who is bigger than the problems and the disappointments that we face, who will keep us. In verse 23, we find then that they appoint elders in all of these churches, which is just a few months later. Now, I don't think that that is, well, it's a bit of a provocation. I I don't think it's quite the same as our situation. Because a lot of these converts would have been Jewish converts. They would have had a good history um, or knowledge of the Old Testament. They return to Antioch. They share all that has happened with the church. Just a few comments I just want to make on this section. I think proclamation of the gospel and gospel fruit. And opposition to the gospel seem to go hand in hand. 
And the more fruitful we are in seeing people coming to Jesus, the more opposition we will face. I think you see it right the way through the book of Acts. I think you see it in the letters as well. I also notice that in every church that Paul went, he preaches the gospel. In most of the churches he goes to, there are signs and wonders. I say it again. In every church he goes to, he preaches the gospel. In most of the churches he goes to, there are signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are brilliant, they are exciting, they are amazing. But the truth of the gospel must be preached. We must communicate it clearly and effectively. Otherwise, people do not know who they are responding to or what they have been saved from or what Jesus has done for them. It is so important. I want to encourage us, church, do, do we know the gospel? Could, if I said to you, we haven't got time, some of you would be saying, praise God. <laughs> to turn, if I said, turn to the person next to you and just, just in a minute, explain the good news about Jesus. Explain the gospel to your neighbour. How, how many of you would feel confident in doing that? I want to encourage you to get equipped. To be able to bring the gospel right down, not with lots and lots of words, but, but very simply. You never know when you may get an opportunity. And, and it's good to bring people up here, and, and we can explain and share, but actually, you may get just that snippet, that conversation. Someone will never be able to come up here, but you can plant the seed of the gospel. And it says it's an imperishable, imperishable seed of the gospel. It will grow. I notice that what Paul is really keen on doing is starting churches. You see, when Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the message in this area or that area, what he really means is, I've planted a church. Because it then becomes the church's responsibility to fully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of the community around it. Paul plants churches. And it is their responsibility to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to all those around. Bill Hybels says this about the local church. The local church is the only organisation that can transform the human heart. It's only the love of Jesus that conquers sin, wipes away shame and heals the human heart, reconciles enemies and ultimately changes the world one person at a time. Therefore, local congregations are so important. That's why... We're planting out from here. That's why a few weeks ago we planted Six O'Clock Church led by Alid and the team because we want to more effectively release them to reach their community that geographically is all mixed in with us. But actually is very different to many of us here as well. That's why by this time next year, You from Bexhill who are going to be joining Steve and Laurie and Andrew and the other guys, you won't be in here. You're going to be in some venue over in Bexhill worshipping Jesus and the word will be preached and you'll be praying and you'll be sharing your faith. That's why we're planting into Bexhill. Why? Because of the hope of the local church. Because of the power it has to make a difference. Because of how effective it is. That's why following on from that we're going to be planting into central St. Leonard's. Why? Because we're passionate We're passionate 
that people get to know Jesus and are discipled. And we can more effectively serve St. Leonard's if we've got an outpost right in the middle of that community that is communicating the gospel and making disciples in a way that can best serve them. It's going to rattle things. It's going to change things. It's going to feel different in here in a year's time. It's going to. I wonder if the church at Antioch would have rather had Paul and Barnabas stay there. I mean, Paul, come on, he wrote a load of the New Testament. I'm sure I would have wanted him still on the preaching team in Antioch, joining with the prophets, making sure there's good balance on team. You know, we've got to make, and the church hasn't been going very long. Got to make sure it's, you know, just another year of Paul preaching there. I'm sure the foundations will be strong enough to be able to move on. But no, send them out. That was God's heart. Send them out. Release them for the work which I have set them apart for. And I can prophesy with absolute certainty, there will be moments when we will say, individually, oh, I don't know if we should have done this. It was better when we were all together. No, it wasn't. What about all those people that don't know Jesus that we can more effectively reach because we're in their neighbourhoods? Yes, will there be a personal cost to us? Yeah. You know, there may be a personal cost to our children. You know, we're already thinking that some of our children's friends will be in Bex Hill. They're going to find that hard. So I need to help them through that. We need to pastor them through that. But it doesn't make what we're planning to do wrong. It just means we've got to overcome it. Because we do not exist just for our well-being so we can have a nice cuddle on a Sunday. We exist to see the gospel go out, to see disciples made, that the poor would be cared for, that we would be equipped and released on mission. That's who we are as a people. That is what we are about. There's easier ways to build church, but then Hastings and 1066 country just won't be reached as effectively. And we're on a mission together, aren't we, church? Aren't we just following in the footsteps of Paul and Barnabas? Aren't we just following in the footsteps of the Methodists? And the Baptists and others who went out and planted new congregations hundreds of years ago. Why? Because there was loads of people who needed to know about him. Whether you stay, whether you go to a new venue, every single one of you is precious, important and needed. I want to say that all of us need to step up. Step out. Get out of our comfort zone in fresh ways. I want to encourage you to do that. And as we go out, it is so important that we give ourselves to worshipping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because in the end, that's what it's all about anyway. We're just calling more and more people to worship our wonderful Saviour, our glorious Lord. And as I worship, I am freshly fueled and equipped and prepared for what God is calling me to do. It's not why I do it. I do it to give him the glory. But as I encounter him, it does something in my heart. He fills me with courage. Fills me with joy. He fills me with joy as I worship and connect with who he is. And last thing to say is they had a council meeting. You know, it was a really important meeting. It was foundational for the direction of the church and where it would go in the future. It was a meeting about 
Is it Jesus, just Jesus and, and, and faith in his name and putting our trust in him who saves us from our sins and cleanses us and equips us for him? Is it just Jesus or is it Jesus plus something else? And what the council came back, the apostles and the elders, what they came back with in chapter 15 is, it is just Jesus. The only thing, the only one who can bring hope is faith in the name of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. But along with that, as we live together, as we do church, this was the other comment from this meeting. As we do church, as different ethnic groups join church together, as different backgrounds join church together. Do you know what? Consider others better than yourselves. Love one another. Be considerate in how you act, in how you speak, in what you do. In order that you don't cause an offence to a brother or sister. Don't think of yourself first because that's how you used to live when you were a pagan. But now Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins. You are now a new creation. Now we don't think of me first, I think about you first. Or that's what I try to do. And that was the message that came out from that meeting. Why don't we stand as we finish? Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the immense privilege of worshipping you. Lord, I ask you, even now as I'm praying, would you freshly ignite a passion in our hearts for you and to worship you? Not, not because, in the end, not because I've asked, but because we love you. Lord, I pray if our hearts have grown a bit cold, if we become a bit passive, if we sort of really turn up and we're an audience to the worship rather than participants in it. Lord, I pray, please, would you forgive us for that? Lord, we say you have all of us, all of our hearts. And we make a decision this morning that day by day and Sunday by Sunday, we're going to give you our best in worship and praise and adoration. Lord, if you prompt me to raise my hands, I'm going to raise them. If you prompt me to clap, I'm going to clap. If you prompt me to kneel down, I'm going to do that because, Lord, it's about worshipping with an audience of one, not an audience of three, four hundred. It's about what matters to you that's first and foremost. And I pray, give us the courage to overcome our fears, our anxieties that are obviously around us. But I pray, help us. I pray, Lord God, when it comes to church planting and planting venues, Lord, fill us with a courageous faith and zeal to pursue you. Lord, I pray we would be overcomers, that when we see problems and difficulties, when things don't quite work as they, we hope they would, and there's a few gaps and things like, oh Lord, I pray, fill us with a zeal. Lord, not, not, not to moan, but to step up, to speak positively, to encourage, to personally fill the gap, even if I don't want to. Lord, I pray, Lord, would we guard and protect the message of the gospel? Would we never, ever, as a church, add anything to it? It's Jesus plus nothing. Is the hope of all the world. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, would we prefer one another? Lord, I pray, Lord, where there are differences of opinion on minor things, I ask you we would prefer one another, that we would love one another, that we would be keen not to cause offence. Our Lord God, come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray as we go out today into our jobs, um, into our workplaces with our families, 
Give us opportunity this week, I pray, to talk about you. Give us, each of us, I pray, an opportunity to talk about you. To share something, a seed of the gospel. I pray. Lord, bless us as we meet in community groups and small groups. I pray there'd be powerful times with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. We're going to finish it up there. Sorry for slightly overrunning. God bless you guys and enjoy your week and enjoy midweek meetings of the saints.